everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Sala Ericoglu. Hello. This week, we're tackling your questions from our Women Who Travel Facebook group, offering up trip ideas for fall and winter holidays, giving advice on women-only trips, and even sharing a few hacks for traveling with babies. To help dole out those travel tips, we are joined by Stephanie Wu, Traveler's Digital Director, and Senior Editor Megan Spirell. Thank you both so much for joining us. Hey, guys. Hi. So first question comes from Sarah in the Facebook group, who is looking for recommendations on where to travel this fall on the East Coast of the U.S. And I think she's specifically looking for fall foliage ideas, um, which now is the perfect time to start seeing them. And Megan, I feel like you just took that very trip. I did. I just did a very manic drive up to Vermont for the weekend to see some beautiful trees. Uh, And that was great. I actually met someone on a cruise in August who told me that the best foliage she'd ever seen was on the drive from Bennington, Vermont to Brattleboro. And I just impulsively booked a campsite that's right in the middle of that drive and went up and so did half the drive, spent a night at Woodford State Park and then did the other half. And it was gorgeous. The trees are amazing. It's one of the higher points in Vermont. So it's kind of the first place to really have that bright foliage. So I think it might turn fast, but you can basically kind of work lower in elevation from there. Um, But that was a great, great tip I got. I have a quick question, which is that, and this comes to someone who very rarely camps. um, How cold was it at night that far north? It wasn't that cold. Um, I had looked up annual temperatures and was a little nervous, but I, most sleeping bags are usually for like down to 35 degrees. And it said it was going to get to lows of 45, 50. And it was totally fine when we were in our sleeping bags, like sitting around the campfire, we needed to have it really going and be bundled up, but it was nice. Like, it, and it, I think if you're craving that like fall vibe, just to wake up and have like crisp air, crunching leaves, um, we made a campfire in the morning. It was really cozy. So not too cold, but definitely do your homework. And Steph, how about you? Do you have any ideas for great fall foliage? Yeah, I just took a trip down to Charlottesville to see this um, renovated hotel called Keswick Hall, and it was so fantastic. So the hotel itself has like this, you know, world famous golf course, a new John George restaurant, um, beautiful rooms, and is right outside Charlottesville, which you guys might know is home to UVA and, you know, super close to other attractions like Monticello, several presidents' homes, etc. But the location is also right at the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains and um, easy access to lots of apple orchards, um, Shenandoah National Park. So it's a fantastic place to go um, for fall foliage. And I think so many of us think, you know, we just equate fall foliage with the Northeast, but there's actually some really fantastic views and drives as you go down a little further south as well. We actually have a story that just went up on the site about scenic fall foliage trips that aren't in New England. So we'll link that in the show notes if you are interested. Um, But Steph, you mentioned Shenandoah, and I know national parks are a go-to destination for leaf peeping, which is a phrase that gives me the heebie-jeebies, but I (laughs) use it anyway. Um, Megan, what other national parks are great for looking at leaves? Yeah, Emily Pennington, who's actually been on the podcast before and has been to every national park at least once, um, did a great story for us about parks that are best in the fall. And a few of the East Coast ones she mentions are Shenandoah for, you know, that great um, Blue Ridge Parkway drive, the Great Smoky Mountains, and also Acadia in Maine, which a friend just posted photos up there and the leaves are turning. They look so good. So 
there's a lot of spots to get outside as well. Again, it doesn't have to all be kind of New England area. Yeah, another non-New England place that I was going to suggest is somewhere that admittedly I went in early summer and have not seen in fall, but is the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, which I know are supposed to have beautiful fall foliage. And there's also Blackberry Farm, which is a beautiful property that we have written about on our site um, that is a, I would argue, a destination in itself to visit. And then my other pick, if you are in or around New York City um, or somewhere in New York State, is to go to Deer Beacon, which I feel like is every New Yorker's fall bucket list trip and it took me to my shame 10 years of living in New York before I actually did it last year and it is extraordinary there and Megan I think you also just went so I just went to Storm King which is up there um also what like two hours north of the city and it is massive I haven't walked so much in my life but it's beautiful because there's just different meadows and hills and open fields and then these sculptures all throughout it and again like we timed it to be at the start of the leaves changing. And so it's just really gorgeous. Like, I think I always have trouble saying goodbye to summer, but I kind of ease that pain by really leaning in to the fun of fall. And I think those are both like great trips. Can I throw in one more that's yeah. not? Yes. Maybe? <laughs> I know that one of the reasons to travel places for the fall, you know, is to see the foliage. But oh, a park ranger actually was telling me that it's also one of the best times to visit Yellowstone, not just because you have the beautiful trees you have fewer crowds, but it's also the best time to see wildlife because the trees start thinning out a little bit. And it's also when I think it's like baby moose just start coming out more. So, um, but yeah, so there's other things that you can also just do for this small window of time, which are kind of nice to seek out. So moving on to Christmas and December holidays, if you're trying to plan something a little more proactively, um, Michaela in the group says she is looking for something special, hallmarky somewhere that feels distinctly Christmassy somewhere with a nice main street maybe a Christmas market Um, but she was looking specifically for domestic locations because I think if we were talking international we'd have some pretty solid ideas Germany or a river cruise being a main one Um, but as far as U.S. Christmassy destinations go does anyone have any big suggestions for Michaela? Um, This is incredibly obvious and I'm not sure if she is as interested in a big city or she's thinking small town, but obviously I'm going to suggest New York. I also think that after last year's very strange, sad, half-closed winter, this Christmas in New York is, I think, going to be really, really special. And it's beautiful and it hits all the spots and there are so many cozy bars and there are so many small businesses which you know, need your support more than ever right now. And New York winters are rough, but I will say that I think New York in December is still really beautiful. It's before the cold has really got bitterly cold. And I just think there's going to be a really great feel in the air this year. If you're looking for something a little smaller, I would suggest um, Charlotte, North Carolina. They have a relatively new Christmas market. I think this year will be the sixth year, Um, but it really brings that kind of like European Christmas market feel to Charlotte. Um, There's lots of Austrian food, Polish souvenirs, and you can get like mugs of spicy glühwein and you really can kind of get in that Christmas spirit at their Christmas market, which is in uptown Charlotte. So if you want somewhere 
you know, it's not going to be that cold, uh, but somewhere. Which also might, the might be what you want. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I would suggest Charlotte. And their Christmas market goes for like the whole month um, from Thanksgiving to Christmas. So you have plenty of time. I'm also in full support of the glue vine because I cannot express my devastation when I moved to America and discovered that hot cider is not, in fact, alcoholic. <laughs> I was oh, just, wait, it should be. Not the ones I've had. Oh, hot well, juice. just hot apple juice. Just hot apple juice. <laughs> I would also say my favorite affordable way to do a trip right at Christmas time is just like find, you know, instead of trying to, if you're trying to meet up with family or friends, see if you can go where someone already lives. Um, just because like, I know accommodations can get so expensive at that time. And I also feel like most small cities usually have some things going on, um, that are nice for the holidays. So it can be a way to do it affordably too. And I was going to put in another vote for another big city. I think there is something about Christmas time that kind of makes even the biggest cities feel much more cozier, much more intimate, and just kind of general sense of merrymaking in the air, you might say. Um, but I love Chicago around Christmas. They have one of the best Christmas markets I've ever been to. Um, it runs from November through December, so you've got lots of time to go. It doesn't just have to be right around Christmas um, week. And I think it's like Lale was saying about New York, it's not too cold yet. And it's kind of perfect for walking around, shopping, hot chocolate, hot cider, mulled wine in your hands, um, and just kind of enjoying the city at a time when a lot of other people tend to clear out and you can kind of get a little bit of a different feel. So my vote would be for Chicago. I feel great that we've chosen the two home alone cities. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably not a coincidence. We've been watching a lot of movies. Um, talking about, uh, Christmas and kind of leaning into gifts, uh, Lydia in the group gifted her mom a trip for her 60th birthday, which I think is such a sweet thing to do. Um, they're going to go on a five day trip and they're trying to decide where to go. The one thing that I will pull out that, um, is really sweet is that Lydia's mom is a pastry chef. So, I don't know if you guys have any ideas on some great places that they can go internationally um, that also have great pastries. I have a couple of thoughts. I mean, I feel like there are a lot of places to get great pastries, but something I love about Mexico City, besides everything, is that there are a lot of great like female pastry chefs who have bakeries. Um, Panaderia Rosetta is one that I would definitely recommend. Um, there's also a spot, I don't know if it's female owned, but um, Pastelaria Ideal downtown. They're just like these amazing bakeries. And I think that would be kind of a cool trip if that is something, you know, I know sometimes when people have their time off, they don't want to think about the thing they do for work anymore. But I think that would be kind of cool to do together um, if that's a mutual interest. And can I throw in an option for a total opposite side of the world, so to speak? I would think about Copenhagen. So Copenhagen, obviously, incredible food city, fantastic pastries. Like you could eat your fill of different, you know, Scandinavian breads and pastries and sandwiches and and never go hungry. But it's also, um, Lydia mentioned kind of thinking about January, February timeframe, and that's the ideal time to see the Northern Lights as well. So I think that would be a super fun trip. Yes, it'll be very cold up in Scandinavia, but you might have a chance to see the Northern Lights and you will eat so well that you probably won't mind being a little cold. So I think that would be a super sweet trip with your mother. I want to do that trip. That sounds incredible. I know. (laughs) Pace, Um, just watching the Northern Lights with a croissant in your hand. (laughs) 
Uh, speaking of croissants, I don't want to say like, again, the obvious choice, um, but we talked a couple weeks ago and a lot of the women from the travel industry who came on the podcast talked about um, this trend of like returning to places that you love um, after uh, when you're feeling most comfortable to travel amid slash after the pandemic. And I think a place that like I really want to go back to and might be a good fun mother-daughter trip uh, is Paris. Um, Obviously so well known um, for its pastries. Also, we have a whole story that we'll put in the show notes about how women have been taking over a lot of the bakeries in Paris and really um, keeping the traditions alive. But I think just like beyond pastries, the museums, the restaurants, the walking tours, I think there's so much to be said about going back to a place that just based on Lydia's post, uh, she and her mom have probably both been to, maybe not together. Um, but I think it would be a really fun place to visit as well, especially with about five days, you can cover a lot of ground in Paris in that time. Um, so those are, those are our suggestions. Also, now I want to go on a trip with my mom who I'm pretty sure listens to the podcast. So Pam, hit hit me up if you want to go on a trip. I was also going to suggest Paris. Which, I don't know, maybe when I go home to London at Christmas, hop on the train, go to Paris for a few days. So easy. It sounds so easy. It is. Um, (laughs) Moving on to a slightly different type of trip. Tamara in the group is looking for recommendations on tour companies that do small group trips for women. I know that we have talked extensively about group trips and group travel on the podcast before, and it would be remiss not to mention that Women Who Travel runs its own series of all-women group trips with El Camino, but I think it's very relevant right now. Yeah, like in addition to to the trips that we've done, uh, there are a few, I mean, I know, Lolly, you've gone on an adventure women trip. Um, we've covered a bunch of groups that don't do women only, but sometimes they have they do one-offs or, you know, if you are open to a mixed group, um, like Modern Adventures does small group trips. Tastemakers um, is a women-owned company that does small group trips. Nomadness, I think, is still doing group trips as well, run by Avita Robinson. So those are some great groups. And we actually have a few stories that we can probably drop in the show notes about other groups that we love. Another um, place to go to look for women-only trips is REI. If you're wanting something more outdoorsy, they have a ton of domestic trips that are women-only, that are hiking trips, backpacking trips. There's a little bit of everything on their site. Um, And if you're somebody who wants to do that, but don't maybe have a group of friends to go with, um, or you just want kind of a safety in numbers situation, going with a group trip with them uh, is great because they have a lot of female guides as well to join you on your adventure. And I have to just quickly add that I can't emphasize enough how wonderful adventure women were to travel with. I went on one of their trips to Japan in 2018 and it really was one of the most extraordinary two weeks of my life. I think if you've listened to this podcast for long enough, you've heard me harp on about that trip multiple times. Um, And it's run by a mother-daughter trio. So it's women-owned, which makes it even better. Steph, this question I'm going to gear specifically to you, and it's from Yvette, who posted the most adorable photo of her and her new baby in the Facebook group, um, asking for tips on a first flight with an infant because she is taking her baby on its very first vacation in a few weeks, and 
she is excited, but also nervous. And I feel like you potentially just went through those exact same emotions. Yeah, I know, of course, exactly how you feel. I just took my baby on his first flight in late August and it was just such a journey to prepare for this. There was so much going on. And of course, you know, packing for a plane ride is so different from packing for a car ride. So um, I actually did a story just listing through everything I packed for my first flight with a baby. And we'll make sure that gets linked so that you can take a look at that. But just from a general tips point of view, I'm going to assume you're staying domestically, or if you're not staying domestically, you've got the passport sorted out because I think that's the, the number one worry right now is getting a passport in time, which has been an issue for, for all all humans, not just babies. <laughs> um, but my first tip is make sure that you have told the airline that the baby is coming with you. You cannot just show up at the airport with a baby and be like, yeah, he or she will be joining me on this flight. They need they need a boarding pass. And if you choose, you know, they can have a seat. So make sure that you've called the airline ahead of time to let them know that you'll have an infant in arms, which is what it's called when you're carrying the baby, as opposed to giving them their own seat. Um, I would keep a close eye on your seating chart of the plane, because if there's an empty seat, there's a chance that you'll be able to bring your car seat on for no additional fee. And then you won't have to hold the baby the whole time, which is excellent as well. Um, and then make sure that you've got a bag of some sort for your car seat and or your stroller if you do have to gate check it, because those are all extra items that you gate check for free. You won't be charged like a um, either carry on or um, regular luggage fee for any items that are specifically to do with the baby. And then as for the flight itself, I think my best few tips that I got were to make sure that the baby is sucking on something on takeoff and landing to help their ears adjust. So that could be a pacifier, that could be a bottle, that could be, you could be breastfeeding. Um, all US airlines are required to allow women to breastfeed at any time on the plane. So that's something that's your legal right. And we've, we've done tons of stories about that as well. And then hopefully you'll be surrounded by kind humans who maybe have had children of their own or are no children and are aware that all babies make noises and may cry at some point and will smile at you kindly as opposed to giving you any kinds of dirty looks because, you know, we've all been through a pandemic and we're all hopefully a little bit more understanding now and know that there are some things that are just out of your control, including when babies choose to make noises. And um, <laughs> you'll have lots of smiling, supportive people around you, hopefully, and including flight attendants who might be very happy to hold your baby while you use the restroom if you are traveling alone. I feel prepped. Yeah, I know. I was I was like, like, wow. <laughs> Speaking of traveling alone, the last question I have for you guys is something that is also talking about the holidays. And Carolina in the group asked, what would be the perfect gift for a solo traveler? Now, I know it's October, so you're probably thinking, why are we talking about gifts right now? And all I will say to you is something that I feel like we have said on this podcast every single episode for the past year, which is that like, it's already too late. Like you need to be thinking about gifts now because <laughs> things are selling out already. Shipping is going to be kind of crazy this year. Things are going to be more expensive. So if you're a proactive gift person, you probably are already on top of this. If you are a procrastinator, this is me telling you if you want your stuff to be there at Christmas, maybe think about treating your Christmas gifts as Halloween gifts and order them 
order them this week. I have a bunch of suggestions for this, but I want to toss it to you guys first to see if anyone has any suggestions for solo traveler specific gifts. One thing that I found is so essential as a solo traveler is like a power bank or honestly two. Like my phone is always dying. I'm always in my daily life relying on other people. Like I'm running to dinner. I'm relying on the person I'm meeting to have a phone that's charged because mine never is. Um, And I think when I've been traveling alone, I realized that's not very safe, not very smart, and also not very helpful when you need to look things up or remember how to get back to your hotel or wherever it is. So definitely all the chargers. Um, and I love, I love a notebook when I'm alone. It's the only time I actually journal. And so I really like to have that because yeah, I enjoy doing that when I'm traveling. And then lastly, I feel like my biggest, I deserve this kind of thing now is a nice piece of luggage, like a suitcase that I think is cute that like rolls smoothly. Maybe it has a charger, like inside everything is organized. I love, um, I have a Paravel and I also have an Arlo Sky that I'm obsessed with. And it just makes me feel really good. It's a kind of I deserve this moment. So I think those are nice gifts for for someone who loves to travel. Yeah, I'll hop on and add a, a bag recommendation because I'm I'm with Megan. I think a good piece of luggage that can that is really durable and lasts a long time is a great gift for a solo traveler. Um, my recommendation is a backpack just because when I'm alone, I always want to have my hands free and I don't want to be carrying a purse and a suitcase and maybe a duffel on my shoulder and have too much going on. So this backpack I got a while ago, it's a, it's a Kotopachi, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, travel pack. And it essentially feels like it is designed for any occasion. Um, it's the kind of backpack that you can kind of zip open and it lies flat so you can see everything at the same time. It's got different compartments that I've used to put, you know, dirty clothes on one, clean clothes or another, on another, or just separating two different parts of my trip, such as like a beach part and a, and a city part. It's very ergonomic. So I actually, I don't know if you're, if you're gifting this to a woman, but I actually feel like of all my backpacks, it distributes the weight the best. So I'm not kind of traveling with, you know, sore shoulders for the rest of my trip, even though I've packed my entire life in um, a backpack. It's got a laptop sleeve. It's got like really good zippers. Just feels like they've thought through every detail. It's obviously great for backpacking. Um, it's because it's waterproof, but it's also really good for city trips and essentially any type of trips. That's my like favorite solo travel bag recommendation that feels very specific, but also just feels like you can't go wrong with an all-in-one gift like that. I was going to add that if the person you're buying a gift for already has some travel planned, it could be fun to get them a gift that they can enjoy on that trip. Um, one thing that I was thinking of is when you're traveling alone, sometimes it's hard to rationalize constantly taking yourself out for elaborate meals when it's just you. And so I think it would be really nice to be gifted a gift card to a fabulous restaurant where you don't have to splurge on yourself because someone splurged on you. Um, so anyone who wants to get me a gift for my next solo (laughs) trip, please do that. That Paris trip. Yeah, exactly. That (laughs) fictional Paris trip I'm going to take. And another thing I was going to suggest is a pair of really nice pajamas. I think there's something lovely about hanging out in your hotel room by yourself, whether it's doing a face mask or vegging out in front of the TV or eating room service and just enjoying being in that room that you paid for. And I think there's nothing better than doing it in a pair of nice, comfy, expensive, luxurious pajamas. 
before I get into something that's like super, super functional, um, I will kind of <laughs> sec- I will second Lale's um, gift card idea, which is that it also might be worthwhile if you don't know where specifically this person is going, um, picking up like a hotel chain gift card or an Airbnb gift card, just so that this person who is solo traveling doesn't have to spend as much money on a hotel room, which couples or travel groups are probably splitting. Um, So it's definitely sometimes the most expensive part of a trip. Um, So, you know, picking up some sort of Marriott or Hilton gift card, depending on if this person, if you know this person is loyal to a specific brand or grabbing um, just a general Airbnb gift card is a great gift. The other thing I will suggest from kind of like a safety perspective is the Garmin InReach Messenger which is like a mini satellite messenger. If you are out somewhere that doesn't have cell phone service, whether you are in a city or you're out in the woods, um, it can send SOS alerts to um, specific numbers that you have set up in the device. And it's very small, so you can just bring it along with you. Um, You can let family and friends know that you're okay or um, kind of send your location information to them if you aren't or you just want to update them as to where you are. Um, Also, it has like a little weather update thing on it. So if you're out on your own and you need to prepare for rain or snow, you can have that alert with you. So um, if you, the solo travel, if this solo traveler is more adventurous, that might be um, a very thoughtful gift to give them. And then kind of like Megan said with the notebook, um, I would suggest a Kindle um, or getting them a book. Um, Something I love to do when I solo travel, which we have talked about like hundreds of thousands of times on the podcast uh, already, is going to a bar with a book or Kindle and just sitting down and reading. Um, It's a nice way to pass the time. um, And if you're not necessarily looking to make friends uh, when you go out to eat or to drink, um, it's a pretty, both a pretty good buffer and surprisingly a good conversation starter if you do want to make friends. So I think bringing something like that along with you and gifting it to someone else uh, who is a solo traveler is a great idea. You know what else you could read while you're sitting alone at a bar or restaurant is maybe an issue, Condé Nast Traveler. Wow. (laughs) Maybe. What a a plug stuff. (laughs) Subscription? (laughs) Sounds like a great gift idea for a solo traveler. (laughs) Um, we we will in fact link uh, how to subscribe <laughs> to Traveler in the show notes. Thanks to Steph's amazing plug. Um, but if people want to keep up with what you are doing, where can they find you both on the internet? Which we will also link in I'm the show notes. I'm at by Steph Wu, and I'm at Spirelli. I'm at Lale Hannah. And I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. Be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram and sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter where a ton of these links go out every other Sunday. We will link everything that we mentioned that we were going to link. We will link it in the show notes. Um, so be sure to check those out. Um, and if you have any other questions that you are curious about, um, holiday travel plans or just general travel questions, always feel free to email them to women who travel at cntraveler.com. And we'll talk to everyone next week. <laughs> <laughs>